detective, thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Care Boy, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Cal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial event. That works. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Bartlebaugh, and this is the, actually, this is the Illustrated Fan, the podcast within a podcast of Phantom Galaxy. So tonight, I'm joined by my co-host for Illustrated Fan, Dave, Dr. Shock Becker. Dave, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderful, sir. Thank you. How are you today? I'm doing very well, and I'm really excited because... A, we are talking about Batman, which is yes. one of my all-time favorite pop culture things, period. And we have one of my favorite guests with us tonight, uh, Vicious Victor Rodriguez. V- Victor, how are you doing tonight? Hey, guys. Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Yes, welcome. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we're we're going to talk two of the Batman animated films tonight that DC... Uh, animated universe, maybe in a general sense. In fact, one of the reasons I thought this would be cool is Victor had, when we had you on Victor for the best movies of the year, the best uh, genre movies, one of the, I think your uh, honorable mentions was one of the uh, second Justice League Dark movie. And when you recommended it, I checked it out on HBO Max and it was really good. I was really impressed with it. And it had been a while since I had seen some of these. I'd watched many of them in the past, and I was a big fan of Batman animated series. So I thought it'd be really fun. Dave and I both thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about Batman, and we picked two of the movies. So tonight we will be talking about uh, Gotham by Gaslight and The Soul of the Dragon, which is, they're both kind of fun in the sense that they're not just your average Batman adaptations, but they sort of take Batman and transfigure him into two different kinds of stories, a gothic sort of uh, pulp thriller and then a 70s martial arts movie, really. Right. And uh, I, I think it'll be cool to talk both of those tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but before we do that, uh, a, a couple things. But at the end of this episode, I'm going to announce we are going to do our first giveaway for... Uh, really for Phantom Galaxy in general. We're going to have a lot of those going on. I've amassed a giant box of things to give away, and my <laughs> wife is saying, you've got to start giving them away because the box the box is starting to <laughs> double into two boxes, and it's sitting in the corner. She's like, you need to start sending that stuff out. So we have uh, – it's, it's pretty cool because tonight we are going to be giving away some uh, two movies, or we'll be giving away next time, two movies to give away. I'll tell you what you would need to do to enter into that contest at the very end of this episode so stay tuned for that before we do that dave is going to take it away with our short films that he picked for us last time yes all right um 
Well, the, the short films I picked were a couple of, uh, I guess, Looney Tunes cartoons. Um, when I was a kid, I just remember getting ready for school in the morning. And we'd be downstairs, you know, uh, waiting for the time to leave for school, uh, having breakfast, and Looney Tunes would be on. And my brother and I would sit there and we would watch Looney Tunes. Well, when we got home from school, it would be on again. So we would spend our afternoons sitting in front of the TV watching Looney Tunes. I mean, and we would watch others, you know, Tom and Jerry was on and Woody Woodpecker and a lot of those other cartoons. But Looney Tunes was always our favorite. And we always had our favorite character. My brother's favorite was always, uh, you know, Daffy Duck. Mine was Yosemite Sam. I don't know why. My mother just said, for some reason, when I was really young, I would always sort of uh, perk up when Yosemite Sam was on. Um, but anyway, the two that I uh, chose to talk about, well, we'll get into the first one, which is the 1953 Duck Amok. Now, uh, just set this one up. Um, Daffy Duck, voiced by Mel Blanc, who pretty much voiced every character for Looney Tunes at this time. Um, he's dressed as a musketeer. He's preparing for a sword fight. But as he moves forward, um, you know, the background suddenly disappears. And it's leaving Daffy there kind of stranded in what looks like a white void. So he gets a little upset and he turns to the screen and he starts addressing the animator. And that's what this movie is, is Daffy Duck sort of facing off against the animator. He asks for some scenery. Well, the artist does some pencil, does some magic, and all of a sudden he's standing on a farm. It's no longer a musketeer sketch. Now it's he's on a farm. So he, he puts on some overalls and then all of a sudden it changes again. And he's gets it's basically a battle of wills between the talent and the artist. You have Daffy Duck facing off against the animator in Duck Amok. And the animator is always going to win because Daffy, let's face it, he's an animated character. And he even points out at one point to says, you know, we're, we're trying to get a background. This is an animated film. So we kind of need backgrounds. Um, and it just gets crazier and crazier as it goes along. And of course, there's a little bit of a twist at the end as to, as to the, who the animator was and, and everything. Now this is, for me, this is, it's, it's seven minutes, which most of these are, most of the, um, Looney Tunes are right around seven minutes. And this one is just fun. I think this one's hilarious from start to finish. Um, Daffy Duck is one of those characters who the more agitated he gets, the funnier he gets. There's even a scene where the, you see the film sort of skipping. Um, and you, you know, uh, where, where you, where you see the frame sort of pausing and then the, 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 the Daffy Duck on the top frame looks at the one in the bottom is like, what are you doing there? And the other one says, well, what are you doing there? And then they end up fighting with each other. They end up arguing with each other to, to two Daffy Ducks. Um, I don't know. It's, it's one, it's seven minutes. There's a lot crammed into it, but I think this one is just absolutely hilarious from start to finish. Yes, I, and it's such a it's such a kind of weird sort of idea, I think, in terms of, uh, you know, there's a kind of almost existential feel to it, and that kind of defines though Daffy Duck through most of every other cartoon I can think of him. And it's always sort of Daffy Duck versus everybody. Everyone's yes. out to get him. He's always <laughs> like, nine times out of ten, it's because they really are out to get him. That the animators are always going to do something to him, or the animators and Bugs Bunny are going to do something to him. Yeah, and that kind of carries on, sort of. It you know it goes all the way through, and then when 
Joe Dante, who loves to do this kind of stuff, he got a chance to direct Looney Tunes, um, which is a movie I think was Looney Tunes back in action, which is actually a much better movie than I expected it to be when I finally mm. got around to seeing it. And it's almost just based around that premise of while the main story is going on, you know, the animators are just going to rain hell down on Daffy Duck. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, yeah, my all-time favorite Daffy Duck line, and it's not from this one, it's not from Duck Amok, it's one where... where um, uh, I guess Elmer Fudd is in it and he's, he's out hunting and it's either rabbit season or duck season. And they're just mm-hmm. going back and forth as to what it is. And Daffy, uh, you know, Bugs is sort Bugs Bunny is sort of having this wordplay with Daffy Duck. And he says, I, he doesn't have to shoot you now. And Daffy Duck says, I say he does have to shoot me now. Shoot me now. That's probably my favorite Daffy Duck line in any <laughs> short uh, that, that there was. But this to me is... Uh, my fa- this is my favorite with Daffy Duck, this Duck Amuck, because he's the star. He's the only one. He's basically the only star of this one, and yet he's still just getting put upon, and 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 he's just going through hell throughout the entire cartoon, and getting angrier and angrier as it goes along. And I don't know. I just love it. I think this is um, this. I'm pretty sure this was nominated. It might have been nominated for an an Academy Award. I, I have to, I have to look that up. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think this one was nominated uh, for an Academy Award, um, and uh, I, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to think it won it. If not, I don't know what 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 could have beaten it. To be honest with you, yeah, and I remember seeing it several times as a kid. Did you, have you seen it before, Victor, or was this a first time viewing? It, uh, this was a first time viewing. I, I saw it uh, just to prepare for the show. Oh wow, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah, I loved it. I, I loved it. It's it definitely one of my favorite Daffy Duck uh, shorts uh, as well. And um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think you guys just pretty much said everything that I would have said. But um, I, yeah, the, I mean, the animator is sort of the ultimate antagonist because he has complete control over Daffy's life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's funny that, uh, I mean, Nathan, you said existential and that's exactly what I thought when I was watching it. I mean, now I've never seen it as a young man. So I, o- I've only seen it as an adult and, uh, uh, it really screamed midlife crisis to me. Like it was yes. like the, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like you're walking along and all of a sudden the scenery is different <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and you have to adapt to it. That's a total midlife crisis. Yep. Yeah, and it almost has a Philip K. Dick sort of feel like the actual, like the short story that the Adjustment Bureau is based off of is very much like that. Like the the, the world just starts rewriting itself sort of around the protagonist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Park City sort of <laughs> deal. Yeah. Um, but the, the I like the, I'm a if you're if you're telling if you're making me choose between Daffy Duck and Donald Duck, I'm definitely a Daffy Duck person. I I like his uh, sardonic sort of nature, and yeah. I like the fact he's just constantly sort of raging against his his lot yeah me I, too. I would agree I'm, I'm i'm definitely more daffy than donald absolutely plus daffy you can understand half the time i don't know what the hell donald duck is saying <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh well the other thing too is i really enjoyed like I, he's got a daffy duck's got a lot of shorts that I think are just really good and really creative and i think the from an animation standpoint what was cool about this is it really is a kid seeing it you didn't necessarily get the midlife crisis, but you get that idea of the the uh, boundless ability of animation. You know, it, it really made you think about, oh yeah, you could do anything to these characters, and they're sort of at your mercy. Mm-hmm. And it was a fun idea because 
you know, I probably turned around and started drawing little characters and horrible, you know, I find my children drawing characters and they'll be really cute. And on the next page, the character's falling into like a vat of like, you know, like a lava. Like, <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife will be look at this cute picture. The next picture, the character's like screaming, oh no! Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love her when, when he puts him in the, in the, um, uh, in the sailor's uniform. And he's like, oh, I always yeah. wanted to do a sea epic. And he starts, you know, he starts singing a little, you know, sing that little sea ditty. And then he ends up just standing in the middle of, a, of the ocean and drops into the water because there's nothing below him. Swims over to the island. And he starts screaming. It's like, hey, I'm over here. <laughs> no, I just love yeah, it. Yeah, it's almost like a Truman Show vibe there too, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Totally. I I loved it. I I do this. This to me is just, it's ingenious, you know, because it really is just. Um, uh, it's Daffy Duck with, you don't know who his foe is. You never see him. It's it's the animator. It's the one who's who's putting this together, <laughs> and I I loved it. I thought it was uh, it it was a brilliant concept, and. Um, I think it's hilarious. I do. I think it's absolutely hilarious from start to finish. As a kid, I always enjoyed also, I think it was called Super Snooper, where it was almost, it was Daffy Duck, essentially, in like a Dick Tracy or Maltese Falcon sort of scenario. Yes, Have you ever that's, seen that? I remember that's a good one. And of course, Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century yeah. with, with yeah, Marvin the Martian great. is a great one. Um the the one I had mentioned before with with Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd with I don't know you know it's duck season it's rabbit season I don't know what the name of that one is called but um, Daffy Duck just for me he is um, he's the he's one of the ones when when he's in he, they just are hilarious because of how aggravated he gets he just gets more yeah. and more aggravated as the shorts go on and I appreciate and it gets Bugs Bunny a lot more when he's next to Daffy. Like, yes. uh, you know, I almost two of them together. <laughs> I agree because he's calm. You know, Bugs Bunny right. is calm. He's, you know, he's always going to get the upper hand uh, on Daffy Duck. And it's just funny to see how he does it. Mm. Yeah, I, I could I could take a little bit of, of Elmer and uh, Bugs, but give me Bugs and Daffy. I think that's the that's the duo. I agree. But, um, and I, I always like that those old cartoons, they would always give you those uh, – those caricatures of actors. You'd always, so in the detective ones, you'd always have that slobbering Peter Laurie character with the oversized head. <laughs> who chasing him around. And I think in the episode with the, to kind of tie it in with a duck amok, the Snoop super snoopers, one of the, you know, in Dick Tracy, they always have characters like flat top and stuff like that. So I think they had a racer yes. head who actually erased who part actually of Daffy's erased, body. Right. And run away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they did pretty it. good. I, I, and I, one of the things I love is how when they do uh, sort of delve into um, the movies from that time period, and of course they're going into the Warner movies. I mean, there's one with Bugs Bunny. I can't remember what it is. He's he's taking this penguin, uh, trying to get him home, and Humphrey Bogart keeps interrupting yes. and reading a line that he said from Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Can you help a fellow American who's down on his luck? He keeps saying that to uh, <laughs> to Bugs Bunny. Um, so I love that how they they sort of tie in those great Warner Brother films of uh, the 40s and 50s and bring them into, uh, you know, the Looney Tunes. You're right. And Peter Laurie appears every now and again, Sidney Greenstreet and yeah. and um, just a lot of those. And, and uh, God, what was it? Um, uh, Carmen Miranda. 
Yeah, you know, oh, Carmen yeah, yeah, Miranda yeah, appears, um, maybe not herself, but uh, you know, Bugs Bunny wearing doing Carmen Miranda. Right. And as odd as it seemed, even then, you're like, wow, those are some deep cuts. Then it was even a deeper cut when I don't know if you guys remember, like, uh, and it might have been a little bit beyond at that point, but Tiny Toons came out like in the '90s, and Spielberg mm-hmm. had Tiny Toons and Animaniacs, and they were still trotting out Peter Laurie and Humphrey right. Bogart oh. in the '90s, and, and at the same time, they might be giants. So it was like a cultural. I, I I vaguely remember that. I vaguely remember yeah. because I would I would I remember coming home from um, in college. I would have a few hours between my classes and my studio when I was in I had video production and uh, Looney uh, or Tiny Toons would usually be on that and Ducktales. Uh, yep, yep. <laughs> like, oh, I'm not gonna watch this, and then I watched it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I kind of drew the line at Saved by the Bell, but I did watch. Um, I did I, watch the, uh, the other ones. Right. <laughs> so, how about the other? So we have that one, which I uh, I don't know. We have ratings. We could do ratings. That for me, this is like a nine. Oh yeah, nine nine point five for me. I mean, I love it. I can. I, it's and it's quick. You can sit there and yep. and you can watch it once a day. I think, and I think you'll still laugh at it, even uh, you know, <laughs> after the hundredth time you see it. I think you're still going to laugh at this one. Yeah, ten. Awesome. You just drop the drop the gauntlet. <laughs> 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 oh, um, and then Victor was the other one, a first time viewing for you too. No, uh, no, I had seen that one before. Okay. It's it's always been one of my favorite okay. WB yeah. cartoons. <laughs> So, yeah, so the second one was One Froggy Evening. One Froggy Evening from 1955. Um, Steven Spielberg called this the Citizen Kane of animated films. (laughs) And in 2003, the U.S. Library of Congress deemed it culturally significant and selected it for preservation in the National Film Registry. Um, that same year, they also uh, preserved Gold Diggers of 1933, Patton, White Heat, and Young Frankenstein. Right. So those were the five big ones for that year. Um, and uh, it was named the fifth best cartoon of all time by a thousand professionals who work in the animation field. Uh, now, that's a lot of praise uh, to heap on, you know, what you would normally consider a kid's cartoon. But One Froggy Evening, I think, deserves every bit of it and probably a little bit more. Uh, set up the story while working on a demolition crew, a man finds a box cemented inside the cornerstone of an old building. And he's quite amazed when he gets the box home and he finds that it's, um, it's, it contains the world's only performing frog. And as this frog sort of belts out tunes, he's, he's building out songs throughout the whole movie, like hello, my baby. I'm just wild about Harry, the Michigan rag, which was actually written sp- specifically for this short there was no song the michigan rag before this short was made Hmm. uh the construction worker you see him get dreams that he's going to strike it rich he's got this frog who can perform and he's going to he rents a theater out and he's going to you know uh, draw in the audiences and then he's just going to rake in the cash unfortunately the frog performs only for him the moment anyone else is paying attention it's just a frog and it just sits there and croaks. 
Uh, so it almost, this guy, instead of becoming his savior, instead of what be- makes him a millionaire, it becomes an anchor around his neck. I mean, this thing is just sort of dragging this poor guy down. He goes into a talent agent and he's, he's like, oh, look what I, you know, and the frog just croaks. He rents a theater and, and you hear this frog singing like crazy until the curtain goes up and then it just sits there and croaks. Um, he just cannot get the world to understand that this frog um, who in the seventies was given the name Michigan J frog. It didn't have that name in 1955. It got that name in the seventies, uh, by Chuck Jones gave it, gave the frog that name. Everyone else just thinks it's a frog. This guy knows that it's, it's something impressive, but no one else knows about it. And this guy, it ends up, he becomes destitute by the end of the movie. This frog has just sort of destroyed his life, uh, by not living up to the potential that he knows, not living up to the talent that he knows it has. One of the most interesting things about this one is the frog is the only voice you hear in this. None of the human characters speak, which I thought was a very interesting choice. The only, and it's only music. You only ever hear the frog sing or croak. That's all. Mm-hmm. And that's really the only like actual voices or actual sounds you hear from the, from the, um, from the characters in this film. Um, I love the music in this. I got to say, the, the, the way the frog sings it, it is sort of toe, you know, toe tapping. Uh, you you kind of get into it. Uh, and again, it's really funny. I mean, the, this guy rents this theater and he opens the door and nobody's coming in because he puts, you know, singing frog. I got a singing frog. Nobody cares. So he puts out a sign, free admission. He opens the door. Nobody cares. It's not till he puts free beer that finally people <laughs> charge into the theater. <laughs> uh, to, to, to see this, uh, see this show. Uh, and it basically just ends up being a frog sitting there croaking on the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, this was one, I used to love it every time it came on because I did, I just, I love the sort of energy of this, of this, of this, uh, cartoon. I really did the energy of this frog singing and just what was happening. I thought it was just, this is another one like duck and muck. I thought it was just extremely clever. Um, you know, and I, I'll leave it to you guys now to get, to get your thoughts on it. But I love this. I love this short. I absolutely do. When I think of the great, um, cartoons, you know, and as much as I love Bugs Bunny and I think he was in so many of them and he is the star of the Warner brothers, Looney Tunes, uh, let's face it. He was the big, you know, he was the big character. Um, it was duck and muck and one froggy evening, I think are the, are the two, um, sort of, uh, master strokes from uh from the looney tunes uh warner brothers uh animation at, from this period yeah i think you're right um yeah I, I one froggy evening is just yeah i mean you, you just said it all dave i mean uh the any anybody from any country can watch this this short and get it like it's not uh it's not language dependent I love how all the songs he sings are super upbeat and uh, (laughs) that just makes it more uh, funnier because it's, you know, you're delighting in, in uh, like, Oh, is he going to get it this time? Oh no, he didn't get it. You know, and it it, it didn't occur to me till um, this, (laughs) this time watching it right before the show um, that uh, the character that's trying to, uh, uh, you know, manage the frog, the guy that rescues him from the demolition site is um he's clearly insane like he <laughs> it's all in his mind like uh, the the frog only performs for him only in the final twist of the cartoon is there any hint that he's not 
you know, right, uh, right. But <laughs> that never occurred to me until this time. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a Twilight Zone episode, right? Where like it, it's really like one of those classic genie stories or tall tales where you've got this magical thing and the magical thing destroys you just by the simple fact that it's not going to do what you wanted to do. But if this guy at any point just gave up and said, okay, I've got this frog that only sings for me and I guess I'll enjoy it that way, but he can't, he has to absolutely <laughs> share it with people, but it's impossible. And so he just, you know, he sort of destroys his entire life. Right. It's like a, it's a metaphor for Bigfoot hunters. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> um, well, and it's, and I love the final kind of twist too, because it, it kind of suggests that this is, it's almost like, again, some cosmic joke. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, the, the, this uh, when you think of that final scene, I don't want to give it away. Even though we're talking about a seven-minute short here, I don't want to give away that final scene, but um, I guess the frog is immortal. I guess well, <laughs> nothing's ever going to kill this frog. They actually made a follow-up to this. Like Chuck Jones came back and they did a a follow-up animation and they actually basically spell it out that yes, the frog, they show the frog kind of doing this shtick through the stone age. (laughs) (laughs) And in fact, it goes so far as at the end of finally, and I guess I'm, I guess this is minor spoilers. You can find it, but (laughs) Marvin, the Martian shows up and finds him and he's the only one who can kind of understand and talk to the frog. And so they sing a duet together and the, and the movie ends. (laughs) I really want to see that now. When, when did that come out? What year did that come oh, out? I think ninety five. I think it's on YouTube. I'll I, if I I'll put some information on it in the show notes or the link to the actual um, to the to the short film. And and so you guys don't have to wait for me to get the episode out. I'll send it to both of you. Yes, please <laughs> do because I would love to see that. I've never seen that. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is definitely a ten for me. I love it, and my kids oh, yeah. are are want to track that frog down and capture it and bring it to our house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ten. Well, oh, ten for me. You yeah. run around singing "Hello, my honey." Now, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Michigan Frog. I like the Michigan Frog. That's probably my favorite. And I was very. I, I thought it was cool that they wrote that specifically for this cartoon because and I it love sounds Michigan. just like one of those old tunes that he's singing, yeah. like "Hello, my baby." Hello, my honey. You know, it sounds just like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, no, it's awesome. It, it really is to me. This is um, if if you had to pick. The top five Looney Tunes cartoons, both Duck and Muck and One Froggy Evening. And One Froggy Evening might even be just a little bit ahead of Duck and Muck for me. Yeah, I think it's a 10 as well. Yeah, yeah, great. And I think think the thing here is if for some reason people haven't seen these before or aren't even that familiar with Looney Tunes, it's a great... Uh, there's a lot of great places to start and, and just finding a collection of Looney Tunes. It's really hard to go wrong, particularly with the older... The older stuff and, and a lot of Chuck Jones stuff too. Um, as I was looking through some of the things here for giveaway of a whole Chuck Jones collection has like Ricky Ticky Tavi and a lot oh, of his older stuff yes. on it. So we, we may, might need to give one of those away too since we're recovering. Some yes, stuff. Ricky Ricky Ticky Ricky Ticky Tavi. That's something we'll have to cover at some point. Maybe we could do some of those old Chuck Jones ones because Ricky Ticky yeah. Tavi made a huge influence on me when I was a kid. I used me to look too. forward to every time that played on TV. I had to catch I had to catch it every single time. It is such a good it's what a half hour. It's not even that yeah, long. It's a bit of a longer I felt it always aired as almost like a 
TV special or something. Yeah, it did. It, it got that film, almost like a Charlie Brown special yeah. was Ricky Ticky Tavi. Um, and I had to catch it every time. And it's intense. I mean, there are moments in that that are that, that like, you know, that could scare. I mean, I remember being scared uh, from from some scenes in Ricky Ticky Tavi, but yet I had to see it every single time. Right. And it's um and it's and it's based off a short story, too. So. Uh, by uh, Rudyard Kipling. Rudyard Kipling. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it's really cool. And it, I remember seeing it, but he is just a great uh, it, in the, in the realm of animation, you know, um, he's up there, I think Chuck Jones. So uh, yeah, maybe we'll do a couple of those next time um, for when we announce at the end of this episode, maybe Dave, if you're uh, open to it, we'll do a couple of Chuck, more Chuck Jones shorts. Then. Yeah, absolutely. I would love it. I think that would be great. So with that, that's the uh, that kind of closes up. Uh, Victor, did you have a rating for One Frog Evening? Oh yeah, ten. Cool. Awesome. And so what we'll do now is move on to our primary um, reviews of the night. And before we jump into them, I did want to just stop and talk a little bit about, uh, from my perspective, what probably sort of in you know we have people go back and forth and I'm not, I'm not interested in getting into the argument over what's better Marvel versus DC and you have Marvel on television and DC on television versus films. And, you know, it it goes back and forth. Uh, I certainly think that most financially and critically for the most part, Marvel in more recent years has obviously been a little bit more successful for a long time. Mm -hmm. You had the big DC characters, Superman and Batman were the ones that were getting attention on the screen. Not many of the Marvel movies until recently and dc has seemingly had a little bit more success on the tv front and and in the animated front it's funny because i think they're really killing it but not it it just it almost seems like a kind of hidden secret in some ways you know (laughs) like that that i don't think people are aware of how many good movies are actually being developed on a somewhat smaller budget completely in the world of animation but particularly when you get to batman i mean there are several titles out there and some of them are very strong and and sometimes when people are like oh i want to see a darker batman and it's the darkest batman storylines are in these animated films really yes, they really are I they're agree not in you. uh you know even the nolan films or the snyder movies or anything like that even the joker it's like the the, the darkest storylines a lot of them drawn from the comics from the graphic novels appear in these series and for me Growing up as a kid, like Batman in the comic books, and as originally it uh, visualized by Bob Kane, you know that world of Gotham City was just so enticing to me because of it seemed to roll in everything that I found cool in in pop culture. Really, you yeah. know, it sort of combines film noir. You, uh, Phantom Galaxy, we say this is the crossroads of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Gotham City's kind of the crossroads. <laughs> of those things i mean I the batman character himself with his gadgets and uh and 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 how he's always sort of interacting with these characters that seem on the verge of in between sci-fi and in between horror characters like killer croc and 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 while not in their initial in- incarnations the penguin and even the joker they came off maybe a little bit milder in, in depending on what version you're looking at obviously tim burton almost just goes when we showed my children batman returns my daughter said oh i get it it's the horror version of batman yeah. <laughs> and i think that's pretty much right but characters yes. like Clayface and you know uh there's fantasy there's science fiction there's just a a shadowy sort of mystery. And my favorite element, of course, Batman originated in the detective comics. My favorite element of Batman is that he is a detective. And I think that that is largely the element of Batman that is almost 
it entirely skipped over in most of the live action films. Yep. Uh, I'd say even in the Nolan movies, uh, particularly as the plotting got a little sloppier, the Batman didn't seem like the great detective. It seemed like he'd had a lot of brain damage, but you know, right. um, and in, in some of the others, the detective part's almost completely gone. Certainly in the 60s Batman, which I'm not knocking because I actually quite enjoy it for what oh, it it's is. Oh, it's, it's a sitcom. Yeah. That, that a, was a sitcom, yeah, you know. It's it really, intended yeah. to be a like it was made to be as campy as possible, and I appreciate yeah. it for that. The detective element wasn't very strong there either. The yes. thing I appreciate is when Batman animated series comes along, and it it debuts in September of 1992, so it's literally on the heels of Batman Returns. That for my money, Batman Returns is to me the most fascinating Batman movie that exists. Uh, probably my favorite. I think because every time I watch that movie, it still feels more like a dream than a movie. You know, yeah. it's, it has such a strange tone to it. Does it feel the most like the Batman, the Batman I'm familiar with? Not really, but it feels like a German expressionist sort of take on yes. that. Yeah. Yeah. And you get two, you get two villains in that one. You know, obviously in the first one, you just got the Joker. Not in 89, I mean, that Batman was, uh, huge. I just remember in 1989, I, I remember I was working with a tree surgeon at the time and that movie was so big and so amazing. I mean, Jack Nicholson, from what I understand from that first Batman movie, he made a deal where he took a percentage of the profits, I think, as opposed to taking a salary <laughs> and ended up getting 10 times more money than he would have gotten. Yeah. Who's <laughs> how big the movie was. You know, um, and he was a big part of the reason why. But I agree with you. I think once it got to to Batman Returns, that one felt, you know, because Tim Burton, I always said about the first Batman. I think one of the things he said was he found the movie kind of boring. He liked parts of it, but he found it kind of boring overall. Batman Returns feels more like a genuine hybrid of a Tim Burton movie and a Batman movie where you get the yep. two villains. Um, and I liked Michael Keaton. um, as Batman. And it's real funny because back in, you know, everyone says now Michael Keaton is the only Batman. A lot of people say Michael Keaton's my Batman. He's always going to be Batman. Back in the, in the late eighties in early not uh, back in the late eighties, when they were making the first Batman, they got like 20,000 signatures from people saying, don't cast Michael Keaton as Batman because he was a comedian up to that point. Yeah. And they didn't want Keaton him to be Batman. Batman. What the hell? Yeah, they didn't want him to be Batman. I thought he was fine. I thought he did a good job. But it's always the villains in those movies, I think, that are more, the more interesting character anyway. You know? And it's it's who they cast in those roles. Um, yeah. And especially in the first two with Jack Nicholson and Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that they were the more interesting villains. Um, but when you get – you're right. You don't get the detective in those, it's not until you get into these animated movies that you really do get the Batman detective. And for me, Batman was my favorite DC by a mile. I mean, I collected all sorts of comic books and I would get the Green Lantern and, and the Flash and all of these other comics. But the ones that I read consistently in DC were Batman. In Marvel, it was Thor and the Avengers. I, I subscribed to them. I used to get them, you know, every was it every month I'd get the issues for them. But for me, Batman was the, in DC, that was what I always gravitated towards. And it was that sort of detective angle to it that I thought was really intriguing. Yeah, I agree. And when this, this, this uh, series comes out right on the heels of Batman returns, what it does is it takes that visual sensibility and that Gothic noir that 
Burton was working on. And that's the thing. I think the reason that those two Burton movies kind of work with the villains is that there is a noir sense that Batman, particularly Batman Returns, it almost feels like Batman's psyche is fractured into these three characters. You know, you've got the Bruce Wayne and then Catwoman and as Oswald Cobblepots all seem to represent different versions of him. You know, you've got the orphan right. that doesn't belong. And then you've got the vigilante who wants, who's fighting against her desire to just have vengeance. And then it's like he, he's fighting the concept of Batman in his head. And there's manifested themselves physically as these characters are tearing up the city. And so when the animated series comes along, it really kind of goes all in on the characters and it feels to me the closest to the comic books because you do have Batman doing detective work and man, the voice cast on this show was amazing. I mean, uh, just to begin with and, and not that many people may be known for many things, Kevin Conroy does the voice of Bruce Wayne Batman and he does it so well that Mm -hmm. what he kind of thing that he's doing echoes down across. I mean, later you have far more like, um, I mean, you have Bruce Greenwood in one of these Batman movies, you know, he's voicing Batman and he's basically doing, he's, he's following the Kevin Conroy lead and Conroy even gets to kind of play a version of, of Batman in one of the, uh, uh, I think the recently the CW had a, an alternate worlds where the flash and everything, the sort of, uh, visited the multiverse and there's Kevin Conroy as a sort of psychopathic version of Batman. So mm-hmm. he's got to make his mark, but you look at the the voice cast here that gets used. I mean, the biggest one, of course, Mark Hamill is the Joker, mm-hmm. which for my money, even with, even with all the other great interpretations of the Joker and honestly, uh, I, I apologize, but except for Jared Leto, which I don't care for, I've enjoyed most of the iterations of Joker, including Cesar Romero. But for me, I think the Mark Hamill Joker is the most evocative to me of what I what I imagine in my head, and uh, I mean you got Richard Mole, Paul Williams was the Penguin, Adrian mm-hmm. Barbeau was Catwoman, John Vernon was in here, John Glover is the Riddler, Roddy wow. McDowell was Mad Hatter, Ron Perlman was Clayface, wow. David Warner was Ra's al Ghul. Oof. I mean, you even had Ed Asner was in here, and and Henry Silva, and you just this huge list of voice actors, and you even got to a point. When they had, I think, in the first season, and I don't know how much you guys have ever watched any of it, you had uh, an episode where Batman meets the sort of like old time pulp hero that he idolized, who's voiced by Adam West. Oh, yeah. Beware of the Grey Ghost. Yeah, the Grey Ghost. It was such a good episode, and it just ties everything together so nicely. This, to me, was an outstanding series, kind of at the top of the game in terms of the animation. They had done a variation on Dan, Danny Elfman's theme song, and it was so strong that within a year, I mean, we had an actual animated film, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, coming to the theaters. Nice. Yeah. Like, I think within a year. Did... Uh, Dave, I think you said you didn't get to see much of Batman animated series. Did I didn't get to see the animated series. I did see Mask of the Phantasm, though. Okay. Um, and it's 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 great. I really like. And you know what? You're right. I agree with you about Mark Hamill. Yeah, I don't even. I didn't. I don't even think the first time I saw this, I realized it was Mark Hamill until the ending credits. You know, I didn't even know that it was Mark Hamill doing the voice of the Joker because he does nail it. He nails that character. I think. And there have been some great, as you said, some great cinematic interpretations of, of that character. Um, two, two people have won Oscars for playing the Joker. I don't think Batman, I don't think a single Batman has won an Oscar, but two people have won Oscars for playing the Joker, which I think is, is, is kind of funny. But 
I think that Mark Hamill, he really does nail it. I mean, he does a great job, especially in Mask of the Phantasm, because I like that movie. I thought it was good. But when the Joker came in, it just got a different energy to it. You know, when Mm -hmm. that character finally shows up in Mask of the Phantasm, I think the energy level just sort of spikes and then stays there for the remainder of the movie, you know, and it's late in the film. I mean, the Joker, what is it? Maybe about the 50 minute mark or 45 minute mark, something like that is when the Joker finally appears. And it's a good movie up to that point. But then when the Joker gets there, it's just like, wow. Then all of a sudden it's like a roller coaster ride. Um, And that's one of the things I really uh, recall about the movie. I remember buying this for my kids uh, on DVD when they were very young. I, I want to say it was the very early 2000s. Uh, or when it first came out, I got this on DVD for them. Um, and I remember being really upset because I had to rebuy it because I take I wanted to watch and I looked at their DVD and it had peanut butter and jelly all over it for some freaking reason. No. But So I had to rebuy it. But it's worth owning for me. And that's the only reason I rebought it was because I wanted to have it. Um, and I enjoyed it. I just, I, I, I love it. And I love it really. I love, I like the whole movie, but I love it from the moment that the Joker appears. And from that point forward. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, Hamill just brings so much energy to every episode that he's in and, and mask of the phantasm. I mean, uh, I, I saw him, uh, do a, like a, a stand-up speech type thing at a at a writing convention in the mid '90s, and uh, he he didn't mention Batman until he was like, "Does anybody have any questions?" And somebody was like, "Do the Joker," and he was like, <laughs> "All right, I'll do the Joker, but you all have to close your eyes." <laughs> and we did, and he did it, and it was unbelievable. It was awesome. like the Joker was standing there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> he's he's excellent. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, Mask of the Fantasy. I loved Batman, the animated series. Um, yeah, the art deco noir aesthetic that you were talking about, um, Nathan. I mean, it's it's gorgeous. Uh, yeah, I mean, Warner Brothers, I don't know what happened in like 1990 or 91, but they just got all the best animating talent. They knew inherently what these properties were all about. You know, I loved, uh, I mean, Animaniacs too was a, was a great show. Uh, but I saw every Batman that aired and, um, yeah, it's an incredible program. Um, and mask of the phantasm, I would say is probably the best episode, um, of the series. Uh, and it's, it's great. Yeah. Um, music by Shirley Walker, um, who was, yeah, I think she was, uh, Danny Elfman's orchestrator. Uh, and she, yeah, she, I think she, she composed for the series and, uh, mask of the phantasm, which, you know, just, just watching the opening credits, like hearing that, uh, vocal version of the theme is really intense. You knew right there that this is special, right? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I agree. But yeah, it's an awesome movie. Uh, Mask of the Phantasm is probably my favorite Batman movie ever made of any mm-hmm. kind. I've got a few, a few top ones, but that's that's uh, that's definitely one of the top three, probably number one. I I do agree, uh, Victor. That for me, this is probably one of my favorite Batman things in terms of uh, of. Of the in film and TV, whatever the, you know, uh, we have uh, the the comic books. I think there are maybe some stronger stories in the comics, but the way it is done 
visually that that opening theme and the, what they do with it and the kind of choral vibe and the way that they play it as it's kind of moving, zooming in, in and between the kind of buildings in Gotham city. That's just very, very cool. That mm -hmm. really has that noir Gothic feel kind of on overdrive. And then the, the story that they tell is really pretty interesting. Uh, and Dave, to your point, I think it is interesting in the sense that they tell this story. That's a different facet of the Batman kind of, theme the idea of that struggle between the bruce wayne and the batman persona mm -hmm. and what they tried to kind of emphasize in the nolan films where he's struggling to have this life uh that exists beyond batman and these things he cares about beyond this quest for justice i think this handles those things with a nuance that those movies don't have yeah, yeah. uh in the in that story and in the kind of the romance story that appears but you're right when the joker finally shows up and the way they knit him into the story uh it's just really well done because he feels sort of uh periphery on the peripheral at first and sort of ancillary to what's going on and then suddenly he's woven into the story in a very direct way and he's there again at the center of it all yeah, absolutely he becomes he becomes the most interesting character you know, and, yeah, and I yeah. think that's 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 Hamill, I think, with with the job he did with it and just the way that the animators sort of bring him in, um, you know, you, you get a, you get a good film. You're getting a really strong film up to that point, And that's where it becomes a great movie, I think, is is again with the Joker. He that character just sort of takes it over. I mean, even just sort of, you know, t takes it from Batman in a way. It just becomes almost like. The Joker is who you want to see. I mean, as I was watching it, I remember thinking, oh, let's, yeah, let's get back to the Joker because I really liked um, that whole story of him living in that, uh, where, you know, the World's Fair from from however many years ago that's become his home. and That's a very unsavory relationship with some of those sort of yes. like broken down robots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very bizarre, definitely. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I love that. I mean, that really is just, uh, that's the Joker. You know, and I, I think that they did capture that uh, that character really perfectly in this film. They really did. And a shout out to Kevin Conroy, too, because we always talk about which, when, with actors, who's better doing Batman versus Bruce Wayne? And are they really leveraging the two of them? And yeah, he has the advantage if it's his, if it's his voice. But he does a really good job, I think, of creating that dichotomy between the Bruce Wayne and the Batman in a such a way that you feel they are the same character and yet you're seeing different facets. And a lot of times animated films, we say, oh, the, you know, these voices are here and we use the term voice acting, but not a lot, you know, a lot of times, particularly with T with television animated shows, voice acting is a little bit generous <laughs> sometimes, mm -hmm. though I don't think so here. I think you're le legitimately getting performances and a lot of imagination to the point that Harley Quinn, a very popular Batman character, was birthed on the show. She did not exist mm. in the comic books. Right. He was, right. She came from Batman the Animated Series. Nice. Yeah, I, awesome. you really don't get this quality of voice cast um, outside of Japan until 1991 yeah. or whenever uh, Batman the Animated Series premiered. Then it got competitive. Yes, yes. Agreed. Um, yeah, I remember about the same time this came out, there was also an X-Men like animated series, I think, that Fox had. And I preferred this one. But yeah, you started to see they started to kind of key in that if we can't make these movies 
at the same level on the big screen, we can maybe make them in animated form. And um, yeah, this to me, this honestly is probably close. This is like a 9.5 close to a 10. I think it's a fantastic movie. It works pretty much exactly what I want to see. The, the, the mystery and the detective elements are all intact there. I really like it a lot. I, I yeah. would say 9.5 as well. I agree. Yeah, I, I gave it a nine. I might have to reconsider that after uh, after we all talked about it. Um, maybe you guys are closer to the mark there, but uh, yeah, there's two there's two lines in it that I think hit harder than any lines in any Batman movie. Um, one of them is Bruce Wayne at his parents' tombstone, and he says, "I didn't count on being happy." <laughs> Right. Yeah. That is a that you're right. That is that is a very dramatic moment in that. And I I I took that away. I took that same thing away as you did, uh, Victor. I was like, wow, that's like really powerful stuff because that is Batman to a T. You know, he was basically living his life for vengeance, and all of a sudden, like, hey, wait, something's happened here. That was a really uh, very poignant moment. Yeah, that was that was crazy. And the other one, of course, is the first time uh, Bruce Wayne puts on the the mask, and Alfred says, "My God, yes, <laughs> that's awesome." <laughs> the, the way they handle Alfred is great, particularly the animated series, because he's not just the old guy. You know, in the comic books, when Batman was out of town, Alfred would put the costume on and go out just to make people think Batman was still out there. So he had to be a little spry and he, he's a little spryer here. I think obviously than Michael go was in the, right. uh, yeah. in the Batman film. I, I gotta say he had a line in there that made me laugh. And it was when, um, uh, when Bruce Wayne is, is sort of off by himself, uh, lamenting his, his lost love, um, you know, that's just been brought up uh, at his party. He's having a party and he's all these women around him. Um, but then the, you know, the, the, the true love of his, it was, uh, is mentioned, he goes off by himself to sort of reminisce and they have that flashback scene. Um, and Alfred all of a sudden opens the door. I can't remember the exact line, but it's something like, sir, Miss Bambi is dancing on the piano. You know, just sort of, <laughs> it's almost like John Gilgood and Arthur, yes, you know, yes, the way he's, yes, he gives yes, you that line. Right. oh yeah yeah so i mean to me that's the high watermark that was the first one they did others and then eventually you know you start to get batman and other and the green lantern and other animated films that spawned from this and they started to use different animation styles there was even a batman beyond tv series that sort of was had similarities to this there was the batman the brave and the bold and then eventually you started to get these animated uh, pictures, including some Justice League ones. And then as it went on, you started to get ones that were actually like, went from PG to PG-13 to actually you get into the R-rated yes. kind of Batman pictures. And that's a couple other geeks. I don't know both of these. I definitely think the um, uh, Gotham by Gaslight was definitely R. I'm not sure about Soul of the Dragon. I think they both were. And, yeah, and to yeah. be honest with you, I don't know that Soul of the Dragon earned its R. Gotham no, by Gaslight, you can argue it yeah, did. I, to me, God, the, the, like Soul of the Dragon, I'd almost be comfortable showing the kid. You know, it was like almost yeah, like Yeah, I think it's more PG-13, to be honest with you. At that point, it's almost like, I don't know if the animators wanted the R at that point to say, hey, let's yeah. just shoot for the R rating. Because at the beginning of I Have the Blu-ray, and it comes off and says R for some violence. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, what I, it says I, in Soul of the Dragon, you know? <laughs> so yeah let's move into those because i think at that point the last thing i want to say about this is the other inspiration beyond burton was i think you really large you see a large debt to the max fleischer superman cartoons of the 1940s oh, you know yeah. 
that Art Deco look and those square jawed heroes. And like, yet mm-hmm. the animators on the Batman animated series, they take that and they just take it kind of to the next level. And I always remember the first episode they ever aired of this was not like an origin story. It was an episode involving the man bat. And it, it really had that horror. The first episode is really kind of uh that they ever made was kind of a horror episode. You know, it, it has those great, um, like mad scientist laboratories and the moon and the, you know, the bat, the man bat is sort of flapping through the city. So very cool stuff. Uh, Victor, did you want to set up the first of these two movies for us? The Gotham by Gaslight? Sure. Um, yeah. Gotham by Gaslight. Uh, it, it, it's, it takes place in the 1800s. Uh, and it's based on a comic or a graphic novel um, written by Mike Mignola and uh, Brian Augustine. Uh, and I think that may be the first Elseworlds comic. Yes, it was. It 1989. Was. Yeah. Um, so Elseworlds is kind of an idea that the the DC Comics guys had where you just took favorite characters and you just put them in another time or another world where they, you know, would never be in, in their regular titles. And so they thought it would be cool to uh, cast Batman in this murder mystery in uh, the late 1800s in Gotham. Um, so, you know, it's right after the civil war. Um, there's a lot of comparisons with uh, Sherlock Holmes, of course, because uh, he was active around that time. And, um, yeah, you get, uh, uh, some murders going on and, uh, Batman attempts to solve them. And, um, yeah, what, uh, this is, it's, it's vastly different from the comic. (laughs) I remember uh, watching this and going, wait, what, (laughs) you know, uh, but, but the comic is, um, very text oriented um it's a very it's a very unusual batman story uh and uh, i can see that they kind of uh, for gotham by gaslight movie they they wanted to be more visual more exciting uh and i think in that way their style guide was probably mask of the phantasm because there's a lot of similarities between these two movies um but uh yeah you got um Anthony Head voicing Alfred, who's uh, he's great, you know, from Buffy. Yeah, yeah. He's had plenty of practice with that role, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I want to get too much into the storyline because it's very uh, complex. There's a lot of characters that come in late. And, um, and <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, Sherlock Holmes isms. And um, I, the one thing I wanted to to say that it immediately that jumped to my mind was um, there's a book that's a lot like this movie too called uh, Devil in the White City. Yes, uh, yes. yeah, um, not involving Batman, but <laughs> not involving Batman, but it's it's involving a killer in Chicago in the late 1800s at the Columbian uh, Exhibition, and uh, a lot of uh, Gotham by Gaslight uh, plays out that way. So um, yeah, I highly recommend that. Uh, but yeah, there you go. Cool. I got to say, I was really looking forward to um, to this one, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I mean, I love the idea of of Batman um, in the eighteen eighties. Um, you know, Gotham obviously filling in for London and going up against uh, Jack the Ripper, and. Um, it's funny how they pull in some of the other characters. I mean, basically the first victim is poison Ivy. 
Yeah. You know, the, the character Poison Ivy. Uh, but I thought that they did a good job of sort of capturing that. Um, you know, because when I think of, uh, for Jack the Ripper, and there have been some interesting Jack the Ripper movies over the years, but from hell from 2001, hmm. you know, take it for what it is, but I, I, I loved the atmosphere and the yeah. way that they recreated the Whitechapel district in that movie. I mean, I remember my brother and I went and saw that in the theaters when it was released. And that's the thing that's really stayed with me is how they created that Whitechapel district. Mm-hmm. And in this Batman, I think they managed to do that. You get that sort of, I mean, it's obviously Gotham. Everything happens in Gotham. <laughs> um, but it, it, you get that same feel. You get that same sort of of, of grittiness, the, the, the fog, and, and just the, 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 the general atmosphere of what it was like at that time with the Ripper. I think they did a great job of recreating it within the Batman world. You know, and, and and even where the story ultimately goes, and it has a twist ending. I mean, this has something where I was not expecting it to go. Um, not at all. I mean, I was kind of like, whoa, are they really going there with this? Mm-hmm. Hey, like, whose butt did you pull that out of? Yeah, right. <laughs> but I was into it. I, I really loved um, just the atmosphere and everything about it. I thought it was just a, a, a brilliant stroke to, to put Batman in um that situation of uh, he's the detective trying to track down who is Jack the Ripper and I swear without having going back and look at it some of the notes in this that are supposedly from the Ripper those are lifted directly from actual Ripper letters if mm. I'm not mistaken I got the feeling cuz some of what they were reading in those letters from the, the Jack the Ripper in this um in this uh animated film struck me as being actual words that Jack the Ripper, the real Jack the Ripper had written to the newspapers back in London, back in the 1880s. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, I didn't look that up, but some of what was said, it just, it just rang true and, and sort of seemed familiar to me um, with uh, the actual Jack the Ripper. Cool. And I think that's, Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just, I was just going to say, Dave, do you think that, um, in Gotham by Gaslight, they were sort of inferring that it's the same killer that, you know, the, the killer was in London and then came to Gotham and continued. I don't know. I think it's just a, for me, it was just an alternate, alternate reality for me that, that Gotham was London. And this was like the Ripper. This was yeah. the Ripper um, first appearance. You know, this was, it was in Gotham in the 1880s where the Ripper struck as opposed to the real world where he was striking in London, that, that he was, that he originated in Gotham is what, yeah. is what I took away from it. But I like how they sort of incorporated the real Ripper into it, you know, writing the letters to the newspapers and, and the fact that he was a, uh, an educated man and, um, you know, you know, uh, all of those aspects of it. I mean, for me, the story of Jack the Ripper is fascinating because it was never solved Someone got away with murder. You know, someone literally got away with murder and lived the rest of their lives a free man having committed these grisly murders back in the 1880s. Now, obviously, it was, you know, they they didn't have the forensic science at the time that we have now that would be able to sort of track down the killer. Um, But still, there's something about that story of Jack the Ripper. It's like, who was this? Who was this dark just sort of, you know, you think evil person who committed these these terrible crimes, 
And I think that they capture that spirit in this one. You know, I mean, he's going, um, the Jack the Ripper in this one, in, in um, Gotham by Gaslight, is going a little a bit further than the real Jack the Ripper did. The real Jack the Ripper just struck ladies of the night, you know, just struck prostitutes. In this one, he's sort of going out against women in general. It's even a little more misogynistic, if you think about it, than the than the real Jack the Ripper. Um, he's just striking women in general as if saying all women have this sort of prostitute, this this sort of whore quality about them, um, which makes this movie even darker, I think, in at times um, than you get with uh, other films about Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and what's interesting is, like Victor, I have read. I had read the the Elseworld, Elseworlds book and the sequel that they do later on, where they kind of bring him back. About three years later, they come back to Batman in this Victorian world, and now things are getting a little bit steampunk. So it's the the film version feels like they they took that original story, Gotham by Gaslight, and bits of the sequel, and kind of combine them together because you have scenes of him in the in this animated film of him fighting on you know like the uh the zeppelins and things oh, like right. that and you get a little bit more of the steampunk and you get some of the i think they do a lot more of of bringing in the character analogs here in a cute way than they did in that original gotham by gaslight mm-hmm. uh and victor correct me if i'm wrong it's been a while since i read it but it, that one really does seem to suggest that it is the same ripper possibly who has just come back from london who has come to gotham at about the same time that bruce wayne has found his way back to gotham and is becoming batman the ripper has found his way to gotham i don't know if it's ever spelled out but if the animated film which does take a lot of liberties and is almost just using it as a jumping off point between the two stories if it was taking those letters from the the original graphic novel that graphic novel did feel like there was a lot of research that had been done into jack the ripper himself yeah. To the extent that anybody history knows anything about Jack the Ripper. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, the, well, I think the the movie concentrated a bit more on the the Sherlock Holmes references, and there yeah. are a bunch. Yeah, there's the the Dionysus Club, um, and yes. in the Sherlock Holmes stories, it's the Diogenes Club. <laughs> yeah, and the you know the orphans are sort of stand-ins for the Baker Street Irregulars. But they're and, all uh, they're all Robins, <laughs> right? Yeah, proto Robins, and uh, <laughs> all three Robins: Jason and Dick, and yeah. And the the Dancing Man Code um, is, I think it's a it's a reference to um, a short story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle called "The Adventure of the Dancing Men." Um, I read it a long, long time ago, but uh, I believe Holmes is in it. So. Um, oh, the other other thing I really wanted to mention was um, Hugo Strange makes an appearance in in yes. this movie, yes. and his line said he, he says something about uh, <laughs> ablation of the frontal cortex. You know the old <laughs> the old trepanation, the hor- the, uh, that horror element in the asylum, um, and uh, that really reminded me of this book called The Brains of Rats. Um, now, uh, just. Real quick, wanted to mention it. It's a horror story collection written by a doctor who decided to write horror in his midlife. Um, and they yes. are very medically accurate. They are frightening stories. Uh, and um, the first story in that collection 
<laughs> you will know exactly what I mean when you read it. The brains of rats. This is the real reason I have Victor on. Right. Yeah, because I, I never I never heard of that either. That's awesome. Every single time you come <laughs> on Victor, I walk away with some book recommendation. And whatever book it is, is like excellent. It's always good. Um and and Dave, if you haven't read Devil in the White City, based on what you were saying about the kind of the fascinating elements of Jack the Ripper, now it's not about Jack the Ripper, but I strongly recommend devil in the white city it okay. is a fascinating read it would be a great summer read um yeah it's it, it it deals with these characters and this serial killer during the world's fair it's very wow. very cool awesome yeah I and have, it's i and have it's, not read that yeah. it's true i mean it's uh yeah. h h holmes is the yes. is the killer and um I think Martin Scorsese is developing it as a miniseries for oh, HBO. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's gonna that's gonna be terrific. That's awesome. Uh, and if it's not, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I I don't have any problems. Scorsese, it's amazing when you look at Scorsese's output. You look at The Irishman. He's lost. He hasn't even lost a step. Oh no! no. You know he I is love still Hugo, honestly. And, and you, I love Hugo too. I love all of his uh, recent. I, no, I haven't seen The Silence yet. There's the one Scorsese film, recent film I haven't seen. But you look I at really the like of- that. It's very different. But I, I thought it was very. Um, it, it was definitely came from the the heart of a true filmmaker. You know, nice, mm-hmm. nice. But I mean, The Wolf of Wall Street and The Irishman. Yeah, he hasn't lost a step. He is at seventy, He's whatever he is, seventy thing. plus, however old he is. He's just as relevant. I mean, you look at some of the some of the guys like Billy Wilder kind of lost a step at the end, and other directors kind of lost a step at the end. Scorsese hasn't. He's still he's maintaining like that level. He's still at that high level of ability. Yes, you know, the exactly. Coming back so late in life and making masterpieces. Yes, know? and that's Scorsese. He's doing the same thing. So I can't wait to see what he does with that. So with uh, with this one, the last thing I want to say, and I don't remember because I gone back and kind of read the comic and then watched this at the same time. There's a couple things I don't quite remember. If they do, they deal much with the Joker concept in the in the animated film. I know in the comic book there's a reference made to a guy who kind of kills his wife and then takes a poison to commit suicide, and it gives him this permanent grin on his face. So, mm, oh yeah, you work the Joker into the comic book, but I didn't remember the Joker in. Gotham by Gas, like the film. No, I don't either. I don't either. I don't think. I don't think at all. Um, which is yeah. strange because they jam the Joker in every single other <laughs> like animated thing they right, can do. Right. Um, I the main main uh, benefit I think of this movie to me was the visualization of getting Batman. Batman's perfect for this eighteen hundreds victorian world in fact batman kind of is a victorian in his sensibilities if you think about it like he belongs perfectly there his his system of justice and then this put him up against the jack the ripper which is something you kind of uh alluded to dave is jack the ripper is this very real world evil uh yes in the comic books we've had the joker kill tons of people but a lot of times in the comics and particularly when they want to talk about batman's struggle with killing people and how many times has batman let the joker escape or has simply arrested him uh you know there's still a sense of comic book villainy going on and this sort of takes that away you know this isn't comic book villainy this is this is a a, a murder of women and yeah. not that those things haven't happened in a batman book but him fighting uh going up against this killer is very different than him trying to stop whatever scheme the Riddler and the Penguin are cooking up. Right. Exactly. And I think that makes, that puts an emphasis on 
uh, the questions of Batman's code and things like that. And, you know, he does feel like a true Victorian. He makes perfect sense to put him there. I don't know if the movie version of it is as successful as an overall movie. I kind of wanted more from it, I think, only because of the, I think maybe because of the comic book and because of what seemed to be, so it had such potential, but it's still really fun to watch. Yeah. Great it, voice acting again. Uh, again, I agree with you. And you know, I loved the sequence with the Zeppelin. Yeah. I loved that sequence. That's probably my favorite sequence in the film. Is that is that moment with the with the Zeppelin? I I thought that was um, I don't know. I just I, I thought that was really clever. The, the the way that they sort of had that and you see it sort of bouncing off of buildings and as it's as it's uh, as it's flying through the city I don't know there was just something about that I was like whoa this is really um it's really cool the yeah. way they uh they they did this se- sequence with the zeppelin um and I liked where it went I I gotta say this movie again I don't want to get into spoilers it surprised the hell out of me where it ultimately went. Um, you know, when, when it finally wrapped things up at the end, I was like, wow, you know, this is, it's good that it's set apart from the rest of the Batman sort of mythos, the other Batman stories, because you can't really tie it in to any of the other Batmans where it ultimately goes. Well, I think that's what works and you're right. It gives that ability to be anything can happen. Essentially, you know, you can have this play with the ideas any way you want. And to go back quickly, I do think From Hell's a good sort of touchstone because From Hell did, as Victor points out, there's a lot of Sherlock Holmes tying in here. And they tied a lot of things in with From Hell. You know, they even kind of bring in um, the Elephant Man, you know, and uh, John Mm -hmm. Merrick and things like that. And it was based off of an Alan Moore graphic novel From Hell was. So there is, there's some similar ground kind of being trod there. And I think they were developed around the same, you know, uh, I can't remember when From Hell came out, but you know, two thousand one. It was two thousand one because my brother was, and I. But I'm trying to yeah. think of the graphic novel. I don't remember mm-hmm. when the graphic novel was released. I saw the film in the theater. Oh. And it was very. Uh, That's what I'm thinking. I was thinking of the film. Film's 20 years old now. So the graphic novel obviously is even older than that. But yeah, I think it was another one in the 80s. You had more, more was coming up with Watchmen and things like that. And of course, you also had Frank Miller doing Sin City and things like that at the time. So the graphic novel was in full swing. Uh, So yeah, so let's then talk about the next one, which is very different, but in some ways, the same kind of concept where you were taking Batman, sort of putting him into a different genre than where he typically belongs. And that that does allow him to feel just feel separate enough that it you don't you're not expecting it to tie perfectly into the Batman mythos as you know it. So what did you guys think about this one? This is probably the new. Is it the newest one? And it's pretty new. It, yeah. It's a 2021 uh, direct video. It's new enough that I had to like purchase it. <laughs> yeah. To, uh, to, to see it. Uh, what did what did what'd you guys think about this one? The Soul of the Dragon. You're talking. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? The one of the two, I wanted to see them both, but I was really looking forward to Gotham by Gaslight. That was the one I was really kind of looking forward to. I loved Soul of the Dragon. And I think part of what I loved about it was the the cinematic references that they made throughout the movie. It opens as a Bond film. You know, you get that Bond opening to this. And then it becomes sort of a 70s... um, uh, a martial arts movie until it gets to Kill Bill. I yeah, mean, yeah, Orenishi, yeah, you know, Lucy Liu's oh, yeah. character uh, becomes, a bit, you know, the criminal underworld 
uh, is brought into it at one point. And I love that Michael Jai White provided a voice in this because you have Black Dynamite, which is one of my favorite movies of the last probably 15 years. I love Black Dynamite. <laughs> and Michael Jai White uh, provides a voice and you get this sort of tie-in of all of these genres sort of mashing together in Soul of the and Dragon. Michael Jai White was cut out of Kill Bill. Yes, Yes, and he's he was. a legitimate martial artist, and it's funny that he only really gets to do martial arts in animated form. In the <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, but you know what? It's funny because ultimately, Batman's Soul of the Dragon, let's be honest, Batman's a supporting character in this movie. That's yeah. what works, I think. Yes. It? He's not the main character in this film. He's not. There are a lot of, you know, you, you get a lot of other, you get Dragon, Richard Dragon. That's from the yeah. Bond opening, you know, it was Bruce Lee. I mean, he's Bruce Lee, obvious. It's obvious he's Bruce Lee. Yeah. Um, but you get you get Nas to enter the dragon. You get Nas to kill Bill. Uh, you know, James Bond. You get a lot of things going on in this film. And I loved every single moment of it. And the fact that it is not Batman. I mean, it's called Batman Soul of the Dragon. You could have taken Batman out of this and just called it Soul of the Dragon because yeah. Batman is a supporting character. I think the time you see Batman in costume in this, it's an hour and, and almost an hour and a half, maybe a little more than an hour and a half or just around that, what, 15 minutes? You see Batman in, in actual costume in this yeah. movie? He's, he's Bruce Wayne more than he is Batman, I think, in this movie. And I don't know if you would get away with this now, but would would you guys agree? This is almost the way I would want to see Batman in in the cinematic films. You know, I'd love to get a, a Batman movie. I know that we probably never would, where Batman not as a side character, but he's an element of the story. You know, yeah. uh, the way Batman operates in this story is the same way that that Jack Sparrow operates in the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. He's mm. just sort of in there. You know, he's right. not he's a linchpin, but he's not the primary the story could happen without him essentially yes might not be as fun it's also full-blown supernatural like it is way out there supernatural yeah oh yeah it's absolutely like trouble in little china or or a chinese ghost story <laughs> yeah speaking Definitely. of which uh yeah oh sensei voiced by the one and only james hong yes james hong this is Lo great voice too. Yeah. Mark Vasquez. it's so funny though that they have all these real martial artists voicing these these characters it's like it'd be great now how about you make a live action movie with them guys um <laughs> yeah you know that that's kind of cool though that they yeah, went the like, extra mile like the three main characters are actual martial artists in real life yeah yeah, Kelly Who's in here as well, and it's yeah. just really cool. And the animation's great. I really love how the style softens a little bit, and it, it evokes those 70s sort of martial arts movies, you know? Mm -hmm. It has a... The style here's a little different than the style in Gotham by Gaslight, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. And I and I love that about it. And, and the fact that, you know, it's funny because at the beginning of the film... Um, Bruce Wayne owns what a club? What is it? A casino or 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 a, or a um a club? And that's what he is. He's a club owner and you know, you get the 70s. I remember I was watching this with my son. And when we're watching it, my son's like, "What time period is this? Is this the, is this the 70s?" I go, "Yeah, this is the 70s. That's what they're going for here." And it establishes that. I mean, this is Enter the Dragon. This is that time period. Uh, of what they're going for and taking that sort of supernatural story into it. 
and there's darkness in this. I mean, when you think about it, um, that, that the character who's ultimately um, trying to reopen the doors, and I don't want to get too deep into the story here, but he's trying to reopen the doors. He needs a sacrifice and who he brings along for the sacrifice. You know, yeah, uh, the op- yes. they open that van door and you're trying like to see golden it. child vibes with that stuff. Exactly. Okay. And it's funny because they seem to be the younger versions of the group of characters that are fighting against him. Yeah. I yeah. thought that was interesting because it seemed like they took kids that matched Richard Dragon and Bruce Wayne and, and, and Michael Jai White's character and all of these other characters that are facing off against him. They had them as kids. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. It kind of makes it more fun too. It, it does. Yeah, it really does. It, it makes it, 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 it adds a level of, um, I don't know. I, this movie just in general was fun. Even the sensei. Um, he's cracking jokes just as much as he's sort of, um, you know, uh, 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 giving, uh, you know, giving his wisdom, giving, you know, uh, sort of advising them. He's cracking jokes just as often. And I thought that was really cool. Well, and again, and that's the benefit of having, you know, like James Hong in this cast and having him and he's, he does such great work and he's been doing such great work for years, you know, and, um, all the way back to, uh, you know, it. To, to the the early 80s you know when you would see him show up and things and he still has that great sense of humor i still love him as the um was he the the goose that's the father of the panda in kung fu panda oh, yeah the noodle yeah. dream yes yeah and <laughs> uh and, and also chad i hear that uh david gentoli is voicing bruce wayne here and he may not be very recognizable to a lot of people but he was the um the show, the 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 star of the TV show Grimm for several years, hmm. where he played a detective that was in the middle of a sort of supernatural universe of these kind of creatures. And it's interesting because his love interest on that show, Bitsy Tulak, is now playing Lois Lane on on hmm. Lois and Superman on television. Oh, wow, awesome! Uh, and here he is as Batman. So it's kind of fun. I had a lot of fun with this one. I actually of the two preferred soul of the dragon i think just overall fun and i think we had discussed i don't know if we had started recording it when we mentioned this but this one really feels uh i think both of these films are rated r i would say the gotham by gaslight is definitely an r-rated movie i would definitely proceed with caution or watch it before you consider showing it to any kind of younger audience this one though feels pretty much like a pg-13 i really wouldn't have any there are some darker elements but i think I wouldn't have any problems showing this to a young, like not super young kids, but a younger kid, like in the 10 year old range. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I I, I agree. I think Gotham by Gaslight might be pushing it a little bit. Yeah, no, definitely. But yeah. the, the Total Dragon, I think, is rated R, and I don't know that it really. Oh, it doesn't deserve it. Yeah. This is PG 13, as far yes. as I'm concerned. You know, even with the language, it doesn't even go that far. This to me. Um, is is like I'm scratching my head, saying, "What? What about this?" Yeah, the same rating as Bill Bill. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? What is this? I mean, I don't understand why this one was rated R. Gotham yeah. by Gaslight. Even if you're just looking at thematic elements, you could say, "Okay, I can kind of see where that one would get an R." Even that one is more borderline for me. Yeah. But yes, this one is just not even borderline. I'm like, what yeah. the hell were they thinking giving this one an R? The Justice League Dark movie was way way more violent than either right. one of these. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I don't know what, what's going on at Warner Brothers, but there must be a mandate to make a gang of R-rated 
animated movies that they release. Rated R and then do what you want. Right. <laughs> HBO right. Max. Warner I, Brothers seems to be doing that in general because I'll be, I don't want to go too much into something completely different, but the Conjuring movies are like that too. Um, I just watched the Anna, the third Annabelle movie with my kids, and that is that is a PG thirteen, and even then, it's like not that much of a PG. You know what I mean? And yet right. they give you R rating, and you're like, I don't understand. This is like uh, evil Jumanji. I don't understand why it's R. <laughs> you know? My kids are like, Dad, when's it going to get scary? I was like, I don't know. You don't find this ghost werewolf scary? But. Uh, <laughs> But all the but the, the all the Conjuring movies, I mean, they have a little bit of language, and, they, and they're like, "Oh, it's rated R for scariness." I was like, "That sounds like a marketing technique," mm-hmm. and I think that might be what's happening here too. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if there's the idea that like you're. It's only been the last few years where we're no longer trying to sell these things to kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. It used to be that that's yeah. what we were solely concerned about. Exactly. Killing, killing horror and superhero stories for that matter. <laughs> but um. <laughs> Yeah, I, for, so with both of these, I don't know if we did complete ratings for these. I'd probably give Batman, uh, Gotham by Gaslight, I'd give it a 7. I'd give this one uh, a solid 8. I, I would probably come in with an, I'd actually say an 8 for Gotham by Gaslight, and I'd come in with an 8.5 to a 9 for Soul of the Dragon. I just had so much fun with with Soul of the Dragon. You know, and Gotham by Gaslight, like I said, that was one I was looking forward to. And it isn't, didn't disappoint me. I enjoyed yeah, they're, they're it. I really good. liked they're it. Both yeah. Solid and they really are. Beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely. But for some reason, Soul of the Dragon, and I don't know if it was the thematic, the, the callbacks to the to the sort of uh, uh, genre films, uh, what it was about it that it just sort of appealed to me even more. And it, it was, again, the fact that it was not just a straight up Batman film. Batman is a supporting character. He's in the title, but he is not the main. I didn't, I never got the feeling that either Bruce Wayne or Batman were the main characters of this film at any point in the movie. Did well, I get that feeling? Feel we need to delve deeply into his story. You know, he's yeah. there. He's, he's Batman and he's involved in the story. And that's the way it is in the comics. You know, that a lot of times Batman's going to come. This is Batman coming over to join, um, you know, uh, the, the Michael J. White character in a sense. The Bron- he's he's in the Bronze Tiger story, right? In right. Richard Dragon story. Right. He's not in <laughs> Batman anymore. He's, a, he's jumped issues. He's in someone else's book. Yep. Yeah. How about you, uh, uh, Victor? Yeah, I would. I, I'd give. Uh, I, I felt exactly the way Dave did. I mean, um, I was. I thought Gotham by Gaslight was going to be the the jewel in this crown, and um, I it was a little underwhelmed by it. But I'd still give it a seven out of ten. I, I think they nailed a lot of cool stuff yeah. for it, and uh, a little higher for Soul of the Dragon. I'd give it a seven point five, and um, you know, I, I one thing that's really cool about Soul of the Dragon is. Uh, what what we were what we were talking about um which is all the sort of references to 70s movie making which is a really cool period in in film uh and it sort of exposes uh you know maybe if you're 13 or 14 watching this um that you may have never seen a movie from the 70s and um this is a really good intro kind of the way duck amuck was uh sort of introducing different genres of the 50s to you know cartoon viewers of that time so that's uh, that's really neat yeah very cool and that's what i love I, and a lot of these for anyone who does have hbo max now soul of the dragon as far as i know and it probably will be but is not as of right now on hbo max uh, is that right victor i don't i couldn't find no, it no i had to rent it yeah yeah 
Uh, but a lot of them are, and ba- and and Gotham by Gaslight is on yeah. HBO Max right now. And if you just want to get a feel for them, there's a lot of good ones out there. And uh, and in fact, I watched one just recently because I had picked up a copy of it. A copy that I'm actually one of the things we're playing to to give away next episode that I'll mention tonight uh, is Batman Ninja. Have you guys? Have either one of you seen this one? I no. haven't. No, I, I I think I might even have it. But I, and I wasn't seen... aware. Yeah, I wasn't aware of it. And then when I looked at it, this is one where they actually have hired anime artists and and anime anime creators to create uh, to create Batman. So Batman oh, wow. is done in a complete anime style. The Joker is done anime style, and the plot involves Batman going back to feudal Japan, where the Joker has already ensconced himself and is sort of taken over. And so. Hmm. It's got really cool. It's really fun. It's uh, it's different. I don't want to say too much about it, but we do have a copy we're going to give away. I'll, I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But there's lots of different things on there, and there's some great stories. Batman um, uh, and, and, and Victor, you'll probably be able to get this the title better than I did, but it's the it's – the, is it Under the Red Hood or Behind the Red Hood? There's the Red Hood storyline. Yes, that's that, a good one. Uh, and they did a really nice job with that one. And that one's kind of cool because in that one, I think they have, uh, uh, you know, they bring Jensen Ackles from Supernatural is doing some, uh, the, the voice, some voice work in there. And I think that is also another one where Bruce, uh, Bruce Greenwood is doing um, the Batman voice. And they've got some, uh, some of them are very, very well done. There are some that are better than others, but, and I believe Mask of the Phantasm is on there as well. It is. And um, so is uh, Dark Knight Returns or, uh, yeah. I mean the Frank yeah. Miller comic. That's called yes, Dark yes. Knight Returns. Killing right? Joke may be on there too. I think I'm not uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, nice. So they, it, it, I wasn't as big on that one, but they're um, they're all interesting. They're all different takes. Again, I put the caveat out there that many of them. Be aware that even when some of them look really cartoony, a good number of them. Now, not Batman the Amy series and not Batman Mask of Phantasm. Uh, but a lot of them check because some of them rated R, and there are a number of them that do earn that R rating. Uh, you know, I think the two we looked at are definitely on the milder side of the R. Mm-hmm. But would you agree, Victor? Some of them definitely yeah. make use of that R rating, and you wouldn't want to show them to kids that were too young, honestly. Yeah, um, yeah. The Justice League Dark uh, ones are pretty. They're pretty violent, and uh, you know, characters, major <laughs> characters die and stuff. Uh, yeah. And and also. Um, the one I really liked was uh, Deathstroke, Knights and Dragons. Um, I mean, Deathstroke is a minor character in the DC universe, but he's a mercenary. Like, you know, his yeah. job is to kill people. So it, he's, it just... He's a non-spoof version of Deadpool, obviously. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, it, it just stays true to, to that to that role. And it's pretty spectacular. I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, and that's the one thing. I, the, the ones that are rated are, for most of them, like, it's not... It, it's not all just like shock value. I mean, it works for the stories. They, the stories they tell are usually stronger because they've chosen to go this route. I'm just mentioning that just because it's Batman and animated, don't assume that you can just plop your like 10 year old down in front of it. Yeah. Right. But, um, but there's a lot of good stuff out there in that. And, and really, if you want to put your 10 year old in front of something, uh, try Batman, the animated series. Cause it's excellent. Um, and it, it's telling mature stories as well. So mature in the sense of the quality of storytelling, not mature uh, themes per se. They, uh, they, they are pretty heavy. Some of the stories yeah. are pretty heavy. I, I you know, I went to um, San Diego Comic-Con in, in 91 and they showed us a sneak peek of Batman, the animated series. 
and I was really blown away by it. And my memory is that the episode they showed us was Heart of Ice, which is one of my all-time favorite episodes yeah. of That's the animated series. The first time that uh, Mr. Freeze shows up. Mr. Freeze, yeah. Uh, a character that I never paid any attention to until that moment. And I was like, whoa, this is awesome. <laughs> um, but my my roommate that I saw the, I saw the preview with um, contends that it was something else, that it was... Um, it was one of the Catwoman ones, I think. I think he said. But, Cat McNary, maybe that was one of the first episodes too. I think. Yeah. No, I can't. I can't. Um, I, I I can't prove him wrong or prove me wrong. I tried to do some research before the show, but I couldn't find any definitive information. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That and, and it was such a shame, like because it was so good and Michael Ansara was the voice of Mr. Freeze in that. And they did such a nice yeah. and haunting and tragic job with him. And they even did a, a, a Batman. Uh, I think the second animated feature was a Mr. Freeze story. I think it was mm. Sub Zero or something. And it was, it was pretty good as well. But then to see the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing, yeah. it was just like, it was disappointing because you have such a perfect example. Even just, there's one scene, I think in that episode you're mentioning Victor, where they have the silhouette of him and he's on his knees and he's in front of the glass case and it holds his wife and you can see her floating and it's all just done in silhouette. I mean, Dave, it looks almost like something from the Prince Ahmed, you know, like it's oh, just wow. silhouetted characters and you see, his the dome of his head and she's in the dome and he's on his knees looking at her and he can't reach her it just it's done so well yeah nice awesome so um yeah so that i mean is there anything else that you guys wanted to say i think that kind of wraps it up on on my end yeah i i think so too i think we've uh, said all that needs to at least i've said all i need to say yeah, me too. Uh, no, I just wanted to say thanks today for choosing Duck Amuck because my life is richer for having seen it. <laughs> well, no yeah. problem. Thank you. I'm also glad you about enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like every episode we find something that's either we haven't seen or haven't seen in a long time. Right. And um, just it's all it, it's been fun, and I'm I'm looking forward to uh, you know the further we go with this. So speaking of that. Um, we uh, we had picked these this time. I sort of had made the suggestion to pick Batman movies. So Dave is up on deck to pick the two features of next time. Dave, do you want to announce what those two features are? Absolutely. And and speaking of movies that you would not want your ten year old to see, we're going to look at Ralph Bakshi, <laughs> but not not the Ralph Bakshi of Fritz the Cat or Hey Good Looking or Heavy Traffic. We're going to be looking at two of his fantasy films. Uh, in, in particular, Wizards and Fire and Ice. Which Two films I saw when I was 10. <laughs> oh, really? Interesting. No, I saw them later. But I got to yeah. say, I I, um, I think both of them are very interesting. Uh, and Fire and Ice, uh, especially, I'm looking forward to um, discussing those two. Um, you know, because when you think Ralph Bakshi, uh, obviously you think of, um, uh, you know, adult-oriented. Uh, put it that way, uh, animation. Um, and he did do a lot of that. And I think it maybe at some point down the road, we can address those, that Ralph Bakshi. Some, but somewhere down the road. Somewhere down, well down the road. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know that, uh, I don't know that we'll ever get into Fritz the Cat, but there are other so, little more marginalized, um, you know, uh, Ralph Bakshi. But um, with his fantasy, um, these are two that I think are, and he also did Lord of the Rings. He did, a, yeah. a, you know, yeah. the Lord of the Rings 
as well. But I think that Wizards and Fire and Ice would be um, two very uh, a good double feature to sort of uh, um, you know discuss Ralph Bakshi's uh, fantasy output. So yeah, that will be the uh, the next episode. I'm excited about it. And I will say this, Dave, it's, you're, I think you're right. It's like, oh, wow, you know, I don't know, the Fire and Ice and Wizards. But again, being the wild mixed up 80s, these were both, we're talking about Soul of Dragon being rated R. Both of these films are rated PG. <laughs> yes. And you know what? You could make a case for either one of these being more R-rated than either of the movies we discussed tonight. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. And I think my parents, like my dad, particularly with, with Wizards, just rented it based on, oh, look, it's a cartoon and it's PG and Mark Hamill's in it, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and, and let's let's just go with it. And you know, But I remember enjoying both of them. And I don't uh, – Fire and Ice definitely was one where I was paying attention to things I never paid attention to before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it was something. I mean, like in the early 80s, I mean, when you had this uh, – and I've said it before, my parents never paid attention to genre films. They they would say to me, you can't watch An Officer and a Gentleman. You can't watch movies like Caddyshack, yeah, I which I watch. I watch <laughs> I watch them anyway. I would sneak in and watch them anyway. But, you know, I'd say, okay, I'm going to go watch Excalibur. And they'd say, okay, you go watch your little sword and, you know, uh, fantasy movie. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But just don't watch An Officer and a Gentleman. Meanwhile, Excalibur has that. Uh, that well, I'm that hearing this teaching Dave the ways of life. Oh, absolutely. I'm, tell, I'm telling you that that movie catapulted me into puberty watching Excalibur <laughs> at, a, at a young age. Yes. Um, and my parents had no idea. They think I'm sitting there watching this sort of kid friendly fantasy. They think I'm watching Lady Hawk, you know, as yeah. opposed to watching Excalibur. Right. <laughs> I know everyone's like, you know, talking about Jessica Rabbit. I'm like, have you guys seen Fire and Ice? Come on now. Yeah. Well, yeah. But it'll be fun to go back to those. I haven't seen them in a very long time. And then I think what we will do, we were talking earlier, I think we'll match this with a, let's do, let's do Chuck Jones, Ricky Ticky Tabby. Sounds good. Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. I would love a chance to rewatch that one. I, I must've seen it a a dozen times when I was a kid, I would always keep an eye out for when that Ricky Ticky Tabby played. I loved it. Um, There are elements of it that are, are dark. I think, and it's what, maybe, you know, it's a half hour, it was a half hour special on TV, so it's probably 20, yeah. 22 minutes, somewhere around there. Um, yeah, I am looking forward to, uh, to to delving into that one as well. That would be awesome. And so before I go, I will mention, we I'd like to do a, a giveaway for the show, and we actually have three uh, three DVDs here. We have a copy of Waltz with Bashir, which was one of the films Dave and I reviewed last time. I have a copy of Batman Ninja to give away. And I also have a copy of, uh, it's a series of a uh, co- collection of Chuck Jones uh, short animated films. And one of them is Ricky Tiki Tabby. Oh, yes. with about six or seven mm-hmm. others on there. Awesome. So, uh, anyone who would like to uh, to be in the running to the, the drawing, which we'll do next time for this, uh, There'd be two ways. One, just head over to like Apple Podcast, leave us a review. I mean, I think we would both say that we prefer five star reviews. Be honest, sure. We, we want to, you know, positive feedback and to get the the podcast out there more. Exactly. I mean, we want an honest review. Yes, but um, review. let's just say that we we might look at the five star reviews a little closer. Yeah, when right, we're picking the yeah. winner yeah. of of yeah. this yeah. giveaway. Send me an email, and I'll still put you in the runner. 
it's something you need to address but um but seriously that that or just share the um to share the episode this episode when it's out just share it on on facebook or on twitter and uh i'll keep an eye out for that and either one of those two things and you'll be in the running and what we will do is the next episode of the illustrated fan when we review the boxy movies we will uh draw some winners and we will give away all three of those uh those dvds so with that, I just want to thank our guest, Victor. Victor, it's always so much fun every time you come out. Um, and pleasure. you're going to be on, like, I think we have four or five episodes <laughs> that we are planning with you. So yeah. you'll be a regular yeah. fixture. Yes. You're always a regular fixture, Phantom Galaxy. We love having you. But, Victor, go ahead and tell everyone else where else they can find you uh, out there. Oh, yeah. Um, well, just the uh, best way is just to reach out to me on Twitter if you want to uh, – talk about anything that we talked about today uh, or um, if you just want to look at my thumbnail movie reviews or, you know, links to my book or, uh, you know, any of the short stories I have coming out. Um, I am at dime store Caesar. It's one word on Twitter. That's, that's the best place. Very cool. And how about your, your podcast? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a podcast called inside the sound of fear which is basically me uh, every episode is me reading a story from my first collection the sound of fear and uh, then my producer josh and i uh talk about inspirations and you know uh, sort of things that relate back to that story uh in a short interview afterwards so it's called inside the sound of fear and it's available anywhere you get fine podcasts yeah, it's uh, the the book and so the stories in the podcast are mostly horror uh and there's maybe 25% of them maybe are noir and then there's like one or two science fiction and fantasy ones. Awesome. And let me say, let me say that it's funny because uh, uh I don't get to talk to Victor very often. But yet I feel as if I get to talk to Victor all the time. He calls into Land of the Creeps all the time leaves awesome messages uh for the show uh so i'm always hearing uh vicious victor and i'm right there with you i mean you for me sir you have one of the best voices for you audiobooks i mean listening to your podcast and reading of the stories it's just it it's really great it's it's almost hypnotic in a way and i really enjoyed it and your most recent one um, I'm, I'm in the midst of listening to it now and I'm really enjoying it. So, um, Thanks. you do an awesome job and thank you so much for all of the great messages you send us to, uh, at, at land of the creeps, because it oh. adds so much to the show. I mean, every time you're just bringing such quant, uh, such uh, great content to the show. And I thank you for that. Definitely. And I'm sure that Greg and Bill feel the exact same way. Oh, thanks Dave. I, I really appreciate that. I, you know, I've been, Listening, you, you were one of the very first voices I, I heard when I first moved to the strange high house in the mist. <laughs> oh, wow. And, Not in uh, the house, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, those those call-ins to land and the creeps are awesome because I at least I have a chance to research what I'm going to say beforehand so I can make <laughs> right. it sound kind of smart. Uh, when I'm on a podcast, you never know. Like it's, uh, I, I try my best, but uh, you know, I'm a writer. So if I have time to think yep. about stuff, it's going to be cooler. <laughs> yeah. And they're great. I mean, every single one, it's just, it's, it's awesome. I mean, we all, we, and like I said, we all look forward to it. 
uh, one of the great things about Land of the Creeps is all of the all of the listeners calling in. It just has added so much to the show, and yours is one. Uh, your your calls are definitely um, uh, have 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 just brought so much to the to the show. I look forward to it because it, it allows me, while we're recording the episode, to be a listener and to actually listen to something, and I love that. You know, whereas, you know, I'm, I don't just have to keep uh, you know sort of talking and, and, and being part of the podcast, I can sit back and be a listener as well. And that's one of the things I love. And, and your calls are definitely, you know, at the top of the list there. Thank you so much for those uh, also. And as far as my plugs, I would, you know, obviously uh, DVDinfatuation.com. I'm on Twitter at DVDinfatuation. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Letterboxd. I have my YouTube channel. Uh, other podcasts. I have my DVD Infatuation podcast. I just recorded a new episode, probably won't be released by this point, but uh, with Jackson from uh, Father and Son Watch Horror Movies, uh, The Son, uh, Jackson Rawlings. Uh, he joined me uh, and it was it was a great time. Um, and of course, Land of the Creeps, as we've been talking about uh, with uh, Greg Amortis and, uh, and Pearl um, and Bill the, the, Bill the Butcher. Uh, who's just a great guy, had a birthday the other day. Happy birthday, Bill. Um, it's really a family community over there. I mean, when, when you it, 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 with the Facebook and, and with everything, I mean, Land of the Creeps just feels like a family. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, of course, Horror Movie Podcast, uh, which has is, is just been uh, amazing with um, Gilman Joel and Wolfman Josh. But, yeah, so I, that, that, uh, that'll about wrap it up for this uh, episode of The Illustrated Fan. We will be back uh, next time, Dave and I, with uh, the Bakshi films. And uh, Victor, you can find Victor will be joining us for, had previously joined us, but the episode we're releasing very soon for the X-Files. We're going through X-Files Season 2, and I think we're all working on X-Files Season 3. So that'll be, uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Oof. And mm-hmm. until next time, this is the Illustrated Fan signing out. Thank you, everyone. Take care. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth-pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth-pop, a lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Thank you.